Bible reading is Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 to 20. Matthew 28, 1 to 20. Jesus has risen. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Thank you, Linda. All right, good morning. Happy Easter, everyone. So lovely to be with you today. Uh, And um, uh, we've got these words on the screen. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Yeah, and um, apparently there are around 2 billion people across the world who identify as followers of Jesus. And so I'd love to think uh, that there were 2 billion Christians today in, in so many different languages declaring that news. Christ is risen. And that reply, he is risen indeed. Um, They did a survey of Aussies last year, uh, and they asked Australians, how confident are you that Jesus rose from the dead? So this is everyday Australians, uh, and this is kind of the spread of responses. So 24% of Australians said, I am confident 
Jesus rose from the dead. At the other end of the spectrum, 16% of Australians said, I'm confident Jesus did not rise from the dead. Uh, and then 60% of Australians lie somewhere in between. Uh, you know, some would say, I don't care uh, whether Jesus rose from the dead or I just don't know. Um, maybe I hope Jesus rose from the dead. Um, but here, here, I want to be really clear and upfront with you. My goal, my prayer for all of you is that you'll move to the right. Uh, whether today or in the days to come, I want to kind of shift you uh, at least a step to the right. And my goal is that, you know, I'd love to see us all there uh, in that light blue box, confident that Jesus rose. Because I'm persuaded it's true, uh, and that matters, right? The, the historical reality of these things matters. But it's not only true, it makes all the difference. Uh, it makes life so much better. It makes life better now, but it also gives so much hope and confidence as we face our own death and our own mortality. Uh, and it's been lovely to hear uh, of our brother and sister sharing the difference that Jesus' resurrection has made for them. So, two points I want to raise with you today. Firstly, what happened? What actually happened on that first Easter Sunday so many years ago, and why does it matter? But I want to start on the Friday, and I want to start on the Friday as midnight ticked over, and so we go from th Thursday night into Friday morning. Jesus was in the garden with his disciples. He was praying. He knew that this was, you know, events were leading up to his death, uh, and at, at Around the stroke of midnight, Jesus was arrested by the religious leaders and then taken and interrogated through those early hours of the morning. Uh, he was beaten. Uh, he was falsely accused. Finally, at dawn, at six o'clock in the morning, right, so after six hours of interrogation, he is handed over to the Roman officials who also interrogated him uh, they made their own trial of, uh, you know, to, to make a verdict about Jesus. He was scourged, you know, beaten, mocked, humiliated. And then he was made to uh, walk this humiliating walk through the streets of Jerusalem in a very public way uh, to, the, to the site of his execution, where at nine o'clock in the morning, uh, he was nailed to a cross and hung up in a very public, humiliating, degrading execution, stripped naked. Uh, and there the crowds of Jerusalem, uh, people watched him as his life ebbed away. And just after 3 p.m. in the afternoon, Jesus breathed his last and he died. It was witnessed by so many people, the crowds, the citizens of Jerusalem, the soldiers, Religious leaders were there. Uh, they all watched as it happened. The women disciples were watching. Historically speaking, Jesus' death at 3 p.m. on that Friday afternoon, uh, nearly 2,000 years ago, um, it's, it's an uncontroversial fact. It happened. No one was in any doubt about that. And 
uh, and, and there's no serious doubts that that happened uh, even 2,000 years later. Um, on that same day, around 6pm, Jesus was buried. Uh, and we read that account uh, right at the start of our service. Um, so in Matthew chapter 27, I'd love you to open your Bible up if you've got it there and follow with me. Matthew 27, verse 57, As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, uh, who had himself become a follower of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb, and then he went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. So by 6pm, Jesus was buried in a tomb. What happened the next day? What happened on Saturday? Well, on Saturday, the religious leaders start to get nervous. Look at verse 62. The next day, the Saturday, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give orders for the tomb to be made secure uh, until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come. They might steal the body and tell the people that he's been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went, made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting a guard. So for that whole Saturday, uh, the 4th of April, 33 AD, Jesus remained buried. But today is all, all about what happened the next day. What happened on Sunday, April 5th, 33 AD? Uh, that's what we're here to remember uh, and consider. It starts at 6 a.m., the crack of dawn, uh, chapter 28, verse 1. Then after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. No doubt these women were filled with grief. They loved Jesus. They had travelled with him. They had cared for Jesus. Uh, and they were going to honour uh, the one they loved uh, by you know, looking out for his body, to honour him in his death. But look at verse 2. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, don't be afraid for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here because he's risen. Uh, just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly, tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There, I, there you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. They ran to tell his disciples, and suddenly Jesus meet, met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. So on that Sunday morning 
in 33 AD, we're told Jesus rose from the dead. He is risen. Uh, But I want you to notice that even in this account, there is another version of events. One version of events is that Jesus rose from the dead. But way back from the first days, there was another version. That is, Jesus stayed dead. So look at verse 11. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city. They reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you're to say, his disciples came during the night, stole him away while we were still asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and will keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews right down to this day, we're told. So, there you go. Two versions of what happened 2,000 years ago on the 5th of April, 33 AD. Did Jesus rise or did he remain dead? It is a critical question to examine, to wrestle with, to become convinced about. So much hangs on this, but how would you know? Uh, how, from our distance, how could you make a decision between those two alternatives? Well, I want to say if you're piecing together the evidence, there are two key facts um, that I want to say are indisputable facts. Firstly, the tomb was empty. Right? As Christianity spread through the first century Roman Empire, no one debated the fact that the tomb that Jesus was laid in was empty. The body was gone. The big question was, how did the body disappear? What happened to it? Christians were saying, Christ is risen. Uh, he's risen from the dead. The Jews and the Romans were saying, they stole the body. The sneaky disciples stole the body and took it away. But the empty tomb, either way, is the first piece of evidence. Second key fact is that people were claiming to have seen with their own eyes the risen Jesus. Firstly, it's the women. They see the empty tomb and then they start declaring to others, we have seen the risen Jesus. Now, it is surprising that women are counted as the first eyewitnesses of this event. Um, Because, like, we, we wouldn't be so sexist in our day, but back in the first century in the Middle East, uh, in, in Israel in particular, uh, the, 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 evidence of a, the eyewitness evidence of a woman was not even considered valid in a courtroom. Uh, let me tell you uh, what a Jewish man wrote in the first century, a man named Josephus. He said, from women, from women let no evidence be accepted because of the silliness and carelessness of their sex. Now, he wouldn't get very far today, would he, uh, Josephus? Uh, and I, I totally distance myself from how sexist that is. 
But that was the attitude back in first century Israel, in first century Middle East. So here's the question. If you were making up a story about a risen king, Jesus, if you were making it up, why on earth would you make the rookie mistake of having women as the first eyewitnesses? But here it is. The, the women were not only eyewitnesses of his death, they were eyewitnesses of his burial, and they were the first eyewitnesses of his resurrection. Why would you do that if you were making the story up? Unless, of course, if that was what actually happened, if it was true and you're just recounting the events as they took place. But it wasn't only the women who claimed to have seen Jesus. So verse 16, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Some of the disciples were wondering, is this a ghost? Um, are we just kind of seeing things? What, what's, what's going on here? So their doubts then were resolved as they talked with him, as they ate with him. They became convinced that they had met not just the ghost of Jesus, but the risen, bodily, physical Jesus come up from the grave. In fact, over the next 40 days, and you can find this in other parts of the Bible, hundreds of Jesus' followers were claiming they saw him, they touched him, they ate with him, they talked with him, they walked with him, they did life with him for 40 days after he rose from the dead. Now, I've called these two things... So just go back to the last slide. I've called these two things facts. Jesus' tomb was empty. People were claiming to have seen the risen Jesus. They're not controversial, but can you see what I'm saying? The key question is, how do you account for these facts? Um, the Jewish religious leaders had their explanation. Their explanation was, yes, the tomb was empty because the disciples came and stole the body and took it away. Yes, they would say Christians were claiming to have seen the risen Jesus, but they made it up. It's fabricated lies. Um, now, that is an extraordinary thing, isn't it? If, if Christianity is based on one big foundation of lies, then there is something tragic about that. Like two billion people today are believing something that is made up, uh, a pack of lies deliberately, uh, deliberately made up. Um, you could understand why people would be passionately opposed uh, if they believed that Christianity had a foundation of lies by people who were liars. But gee, as you read the rest of the New Testament, it is just quite profound in its ethical teaching. Even stripped of anything miraculous, people look at the New Testament documents and go, wow, there is a, a beauty, uh, an, an ethical goodness to the teaching of the New Testament. Were, are we really to believe that the people who wrote the New Testament were calculated, deliberate liars trying to deceive the world? 
And beyond that, those 11 disciples mentioned in verse 16, they were tortured, locked up, persecuted, hated. Ten of them were killed, all because they claimed Jesus rose from the dead. Now, surely, surely if they had made it up, at least one of them would have cracked, don't you think? You know, at least one of them when they were offered pardon. All you need to say is that we made it up. All you need to say is that Jesus, you know, show us where you hid the body. That's, that's all you need to do and we will release you. But 10 of the 11 were willing to go to their deaths all because they claimed Jesus rose from the dead. So the other alternative is that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And notice the response of the women when they become convinced they worship him. The response of the disciples once their doubts are resolved, they worship him. So the first question is really important. What happened? But I want to come on to the second question, and that is why does it matter? Um, a whole bunch of Aussies see, would say, I don't know what happened 2,000 years ago, and I don't really care because it just doesn't matter. It's not relevant to my life today. And I just want to say it is profoundly relevant to your life today. Uh, a few years ago, Sydney, the city of Sydney, hosted a festival of dangerous ideas. Do, you, do any of you remember this? Uh, they used to do it uh, you know, on a semi-regular basis. Uh, they'd get world-famous academics together, philosophers, comedians, writers, and they'd just present dangerous ideas that could change the world for the better. Uh, and on ABC Q&A that week, they got some of the keynote speakers together and they were interviewing them and interacting with them. Uh, they asked the question, which dangerous idea has the greatest potential to change the world for the better? Uh, and one of, one of the uh, keynote speakers, the writer, Peter Hitchens, said this. He said, the most dangerous idea in human history and philosophy remains the belief that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and rose from the dead, and that is the most dangerous idea you will ever encounter. Now, uh, the crowd at that point were a little bit stunned. The guy interviewing was a little bit stunned, and there was a little bit of a silence for a moment because that was not the answer people were expecting. Most of the speakers were fiercely anti-Christian, often chosen because they were atheist. But Hitchens said, the resurrection is the most dangerous idea ever. And so you know, after a pause, the interviewer said, well, why? And Hitchens went on to say, it turns the universe from a meaningless chaos into a designed place where there is justice and where there is hope. And therefore, we have a duty to, to discover that justice and work towards that hope. It alters us all. If we reject it, it alters us as well. It is incredibly dangerous. It's why so many people turn against it. It's just so dangerous. Uh, now, I don't think he'll ever be invited back uh, uh, to the Festival of Dangerous Ideas because he wasn't telling people what they kind of wanted to hear. 
but this was his conviction. And I agree wholeheartedly with Peter Hitchens. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It, it, it is so profound and so dangerous. So let's have a look at the words of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel. See, because we, we get a taste of the, the difference it makes. So verse 18, Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has now been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus' resurrection means that he is God's all-powerful king who will rule forever. Jesus has conquered death. Jesus' resurrection means that God is real uh, and death is not the end of our existence. Jesus' resurrection means one day very soon, every single person on the planet, each one of us, will stand before the God who made us and we must give an account. And Jesus' resurrection means that his death that was died for the forgiveness of sins, that his death was effective and that now forgiveness is available to everyone who believes in Jesus. Uh, and so all of a sudden there is now hope uh, and joy to be found through what Jesus has done. If Jesus rose from the dead, it changes everything, everything. And right now, Jesus is calling every single person, every one of us, every single person on the planet, Jesus is calling us to become his disciples. Uh, he just says that call needs to go out because I am the king of all, and so everyone needs to bow the knee and become my disciple, to be baptised, to obey him in everything. And that's what Mick and Gay and five others, you know, seven of our members today at midday, they're declaring themselves to be Jesus' disciples. Uh, their baptism, when they go out, down into the water, it will symbolise the forgiveness of sins that has come through Jesus. And so they go down into the water and it's like uh, through trusting Jesus, they are now cleansed uh, and forgiven. Uh, and they promise in the midst of their baptism to obey Jesus in everything, to follow him uh, all their lives. Now, they're not going to do that perfectly. They know that they will need the ongoing forgiveness of Jesus day by day, but they are declaring today their sincere intention to follow Jesus and obey him for the rest of their lives. Uh, and that's what we'll be supporting them in uh, as we gather at midday. Can you see why it matters? Um, if Christianity is a lie built on a foundation of lies, over 2 billion people alive today uh, have believed a lie and are kind of shaping their lives around a lie. Or, so that's one option, either it's a lie or Christianity is true and it's the opponents who, the who are the liars. 
when they, when they made up the story that Jesus' body had been stolen. And if Christianity is true, then Jesus commands us to become his disciples, trusting in his death for forgiveness and obeying him in everything. So I put this spectrum of our survey results up earlier. Where are you on that kind of gradient? Now, I want to tell you the story of two men. One man right on the left-hand side, confident there is no resurrection, and one man right on the right-hand side who was confident in the resurrection. So firstly, I want to tell you about Christopher Hitchens. Um, he, is the most, he is the more famous brother of Peter Hitchens, who I mentioned uh, earlier in the talk. Um, he wrote a book called God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. He was fiercely anti-Christian, mocking belief in God, mocking Jesus and the resurrection. And yet, as he faced his own death, he took the chance to reread the gospel accounts, to reconsider the claims of Jesus. Uh, and he, he, he met with a friend and they read through John's gospel together. And when this friend asked him, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? He answered, I'll admit it's not without appeal to a dying man. Now, we're not claiming any more from, from Christopher Hitchens than that. But it's interesting though, isn't it, that publicly Christopher Hitchens was utterly convinced atheist who mocked any belief in resurrection, and yet privately he had his doubts, especially as he faced his own death and his own mortality, and he took the time to reconsider the things he believed. I want to tell you about a second man, uh, a friend of mine, Ben Shaw. Uh, there he is on the screen. Handsome, fun, mischievous, same age as me. In late high school, he became a Christian and so did his mates. Uh, and how they responded was by forming a Christian rock band. Uh, they really didn't know much about music, but they decided let's each learn a musical instrument and have a crack. And so they formed this band called In the Silence and, went, and their passion was to go around telling people about Jesus. And that's what they did, you know, around youth groups and schools and uh, so on throughout Australia. Uh, and that became Ben's life passion to tell people about Jesus. Um, ben tragically died of cancer 10 months ago to the day. Um, and uh, just before he was diagnosed with cancer, he started writing a book. And his book was about encouraging people to reconsider the claims of Jesus. Um, I've got a short video that just has Ben uh, in his final months just uh, sharing a little bit about the book. So let's see. Well, I started writing the um, book in early 2019, perhaps 2018 even. And between starting it and launching it, uh, I was given the news that I have cancer. Cancer in the face, cancer in the jaw. And it was the most frightening news I just about ever had in my life. And 
uh, I, I didn't take it too seriously first. I didn't think it would be, I, I just had that still, I'm gonna live till I'm 90 uh, feel about it. This is just a, a hiccup in my life. And then as it got more serious and I've had several operations and um, therapies to try and uh, help me survive, it has totally uh, made me rethink myself about the Christian faith and the Bible. Do I really believe that there is an afterlife? Because this cancer has got a hold of me and by all accounts from the doctors, I don't have long to live. So it's, it's called, caused me to road test my own faith and think about uh, heaven, is there life after death? What will it be like? The Christian faith says that we won't be running around in white 90s on clouds. It actually says that we'll live on this earth, restored, rebooted, and I will have a resurrected body without cancer. And there'll be no more tears, there'll be no more diseases like cancer or COVID, etc. But it's, it's really caused me to rethink my faith. And as a result of that, I'm pleased to say, I am even fir firmer in what I believe. Um, after I've reconsidered Christianity, I'm even more confident in my faith. So um, Ben died only a few weeks after uh, his book was launched. Uh, and it, it really is a compelling invitation to reconsider Christianity. So that's what it's called, Seven Reasons to Reconsider Christianity. Um, Ben's wife, Karen, joined our church uh, last year after Ben had died. Uh, and, and so she's here this morning. Hello, Karen. It's lovely uh, to have you with us. Um, and she went on that journey with Ben, reconsidering Christianity, because suffering and death forces you to reconsider the foundations of what you believe. Uh, and this is what she tells me. She says, In the face of death, unimportant things recede and big issues become so important. And that's true, isn't it? We, we, so, we, we can live such trivial lives uh, and chase after such trivial things. And, and facing death and suffering brings a clarity, doesn't it? Where you actually say, what is important? What do I believe? What is solid? And she said, we find, found ourselves crying out to God in desperation. He met our needs. We experienced God's kindness and his provision every step on the way. Karen says, grief is still real, but hope is real too. Someone with no hope is in a dark pit and there is no light. I've been in a dark place, but God's word and his promises are a beautiful light shining in the darkness. Uh, and I just want to testify that that is so true. That, that's been my experience in my life. But I have seen that again and again and again. It's one of the privileges of being a pastor, is walking with people through suffering, walking with people through the valley of the shadow of death, 
and actually seeing the difference Jesus makes in the valley uh, because there is light and hope. And it's not just a vague light and a vague hope. It's a sure and certain hope built on the historical foundation of Jesus' death and resurrection 2,000 years ago. And it, it is just a privilege to see the real genuine difference that it makes. So the resurrection, I want to say, makes all the difference to how we live and to how we die. It makes a difference to both things. And so let me ask you again, where are you on this spectrum? Just show us the spectrum there. So you know where I stand, right? Personally, personally I am convinced Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, and like Karen said, I, I believe it brings hope and life. It makes all the difference. And I would love you all to be convinced as well. But I can't make you believe, right? If that was all it required, then I would compel you. Uh, but what you, you actually have to think these things through for yourself. You can't outsource it to someone else. You need to weigh it up. So two things you can do. One thing, you can come and get this book from me, right? Karen uh, has brought along a bunch of copies for us. Um, and we're willing, you know, if you're wanting to investigate and become persuaded of the events of, you know, of the events of Jesus' resurrection and his life and so on, we'd love to give you one. Um, uh, if you're a regular, you know, you can pay, right? But, 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 but if you're here as a visitor and you're sort of wanting to wrestle with these things, it's a gift from us. And Karen and I will be standing out, you know, out near the cafe in the, in the outside foyer there afterwards you can come and grab a copy, Seven Reasons to, con to Consider or to Reconsider Christianity. Second thing you can do is to sign up for life. So we've heard from Gay what a, what a big difference it made for you. Um, and you know, so over six weeks, starting in May, uh, you, know, you have dessert and so on, very chill atmosphere, but an opportunity to just think and reconsider the claims of Jesus did it really happen, and what does it mean for me? Because if it happened, if Jesus rose, it changes everything. He is the king. Forgiveness of sins is real. The judgment day in the future is real. But through Jesus, we can have confidence of passing through, the through death, through judgment, uh, and safe into his eternal kingdom. So I'm going to pray for us as we finish up. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we want to thank you for the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. And I want to pray for each person here today. Please give us certainty about these things. Fill our lives with confidence about forgiveness of our sins and fill our lives with that sure hope of resurrection to eternal life. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.